Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to the Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Monday, December 11th. Today, Sun Outdoors reporter Jason Blevins breaks down the current debate about what it might mean if the Colorado Land Trust turned over thousands of acres it controls to the state park system. Before we begin, a quick message. Support for today's episode comes from Colorado Water Trust, a statewide nonprofit organization working to solve Colorado's water challenges in the faces of climate change and drought. Learn more about how they're restoring water to Colorado's rivers and join the movement at coloradowatertrust.org. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. On this day in 1865, a group of African Americans led by William Hardin and Henry Wagoner presented a petition to Governor Alexander Cummings of Colorado. The petition, signed by 137 black community members, requested Cummings to convey their objection to Colorado's statehood to Congress, citing local efforts to deny them voting rights. Despite being a territory formed during the Civil War and governed by Republicans, Colorado was notably hostile to the rights of African Americans. In 1864, legislation was passed prohibiting black voting, and in 1865, voters overwhelmingly rejected African-American suffrage. Cummings, an abolitionist, supported political equality and desegregated public schools, which alienated many white Coloradans. His stance against statehood and advocacy for equal rights led to his removal from office in 1867. However, his efforts influenced the passing of the Territorial Suffrage Act in Congress in 1866, ensuring voting rights for African Americans in Western territories. Before we continue, the Colorado Department of Healthcare Policy and Financing is raising awareness of the invaluable roles of direct care workers and the direct care workforce in Colorado. Direct care workers play a crucial role in enhancing the lives of individuals requiring assistance due to disability, age, or illness. Learn more about the impact of these workers and how to become one by visiting hcpf.colorado.gov slash direct-care-spotlight. Next, our feature story. Thanks for listening today. I'm David Krause, one of the team editors here at the Colorado Sun, and I am alongside my Good friend and longtime outdoors reporter Jason Blevins for a little Monday sun up session. Jason Blevins, how's your day going? Doing so well, DK. Hey, uh, everybody's attitude's a lot better up in the mountain towns right now, huh? After that storm, those storms we've had lately, getting yeah, exactly, getting some turns in and kind of getting out of the mud season, but not the tourist season yet, right? Kind of still have the mountains to ourselves a little bit. It feels like, yeah, exactly. Two two plus feet of snow came just in time for that birds of prey race business up at Beaver Creek. <laughs> Man, yeah. the whole things of three days in a row, and you're just like, ouch! Just hundreds of people, thousands of people up there for the biggest party of the year, and nothing going on. Kind of a bummer. But yeah, those Europeans they hate coming over here to ski to begin with, and then when they got to come over here, and then don't even get to ski, and they got to go back. They just don't want to come back, right? It could be tough, for sure. You definitely, have, I feel for those folks up there at Beaver Creek. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, all right. So we could talk ski racing all day long, but let's switch gears real quick. Let's. Um, you had a story last week, JB. Um, let's talk about a little tr- land trust in uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and maybe uh, uh, roughly what eighty eight hundred acres inside state parks that are owned by 
the land board, but could go to CPW. But there's some pros and cons to this uh, suggestion. Uh, Jason, walk us through kind of what's going on with this uh, potential land swap. Sure. Well, the Colorado State Land Board has, what, four plus million acres under trust. And they uh, they largely use those acres to generate money for education, school construction in Colorado. Sort of an important um, way that the federal government granted all these acres to states. And Colorado has been shepherding these acres at since statehood to kind of generate money for schools. There's slivers of acres that are for state parks, for prisons, for CSU, CU, Fort Lewis College, all these different much smaller beneficiaries. And the sliver of acres that they manage for state parks is $8,800, 8,800 acres. They have that acreage that is managed by state park. It's in 13 different state parks and one state wildlife area, including some of the most popular state parks in the state. So you have a 10-year management contract for those acres. The CBW is the benefit. Colorado Parks and Wildlife is the beneficiary of those acres. All the money generated off that land goes to state parks. State parks already pays to operate the land. It's a 10-year agreement. The agreement expires next year, and there's increasing interest in hey, why doesn't the state land board just transfer those acres over to Colorado Parks and Wildlife? Maybe a better, more protected area where we don't have to worry about possibly selling um, state land board, which is tasked with making money. We always got to remember that. Their priority is not conservation or recreation or outdoor education or any of that stuff. Their primary purpose is to make money for the state of Colorado with these acres second largest landowner in the state. So the idea here is, you know, would those acres be better protected under the CPW umbrella or should they remain with state land board? And that's kind of where we're at as this negotiation goes on. There's folks saying CPW would be better and then state land board saying, well, I don't know about that. So Jason, you mentioned it. Um, Give us a real quick rundown. What are some of the more popular ones, right? Golden Gate, um, like Golden Gate. Park, and then there's um, the Pueblo Lake State Park, Roxborough State Park, um, Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado Springs, Castlewood Canyon, the outside of Castle Rock, Golden Gate's obviously right outside of Golden, Roxborough down there outside of Littleton. So you get these, you know, pretty close to urban center state parks that are seeing, you know, really huge traffic. So, uh, you know, the idea is that uh, would this acreage be a little better inside the CPW? you know, sort of stable. And so talk through Jason, you wrote, I think, was it what, two weeks ago and you're still following, spending hours of watching the Wyoming land board commission, right? Because there's some, some parallel that is probably making people nervous of what's going on in Wyoming that uh, could raise some red flags here or some fears here. Jason kind of walked, through what's going on in Wyoming and, and the uh, hours upon hours of commission meetings you've been watching uh, lately. Yeah, exactly. Eight hours today or last week. So the idea there, you know, the land board, why would it sell land? Well, there's some precedent out there for, for this. Um, the state land board in Wyoming, it's called the uh, state office, the office of state lands and investments. Um, the director at that office has recommended that the state sell a auction, a 640 acre parcel inside Grand Teton National Park 
with a starting bid of $80 million. There's lots of people say that 640 acres in Teton County with unfettered views of the Tetons inside Grand Teton National Park will fetch well over $100 million. You know, so it's it's a big deal. It's got, you know, conservation groups really clamoring, national park groups really clamoring, saying, no, you should sell this to the federal government and keep it inside the park. Whereas the, you know, Wyoming Land Board, the Office of State Lands Investments, the commissioners there, again, are tasked with making money. And there is an enormous pile of money at the gates of this parcel inside Grand Teton National Park. So um, they, they voted last week to push it back for a year. So we will be hearing more about this. The parcel is called the Kelly Parcel. And they, you know, they can make five million bucks a year off that parcel if they sell it for eighty million dollars and put the money in a fund that that generates, you know, interest revenue. Um, right now, they make twenty eight hundred dollars off that parcel a year. So again, what's the fiduciary duty of a land commissioner, land board commissioner, tasked with making money for the state when you know developers developers pull up at the gates with semis full of hundreds or whatever you know it's a it's a big it's a big deal and it's the fear is that this could be a slippery slope like what if all of a sudden the colorado land board which is appointed um you know people and we have a political swing in colorado just match 10 years from now political swing whole new type of governor and you know political outlook and approach and all of a sudden this contract comes up in you know 2034 and Developers are saying, wow, you know what I would do with 640 acres inside Golden Gate Canyon Park, you know, on the edge of Golden? You know what I would do with 370 acres in Lake Pueblo, you know, on the edge of that lake? You know, all of it, Roxborough, Staunton, Castlewood, all these, you know, there would be a lot of interest, let's say. So, and that's fueling the whole idea, like, wow, if, you know, if this does sell, if it doesn't sell, if there's a new 10-year contract, why not just lock it up at CPW and then you wouldn't have to worry about CPW selling land. But I did talk to the state board and the state land board said the safest place for these acres is in these in the state trust, in the in the land board. Um it's not like they're making a ton of money off these acres. It's not like you know they're they're inside state parks. There's not a lot of way to generate money off those. So um, but the state land board says the constitutional law around how we can sell land is so strict that the safest place for this is inside the land trust. And if you give it to CPW, that puts the land at possible risk of fu- future disposition, quote unquote. So um, that, you know, it's sort of some conflicting information there in terms of where these acres might be the safest. But the whole idea is, Imagine with the stroke of a pen, Colorado Parks and Wildlife adds 8,800 acres to Colorado State Parks. That's the equivalent of a new state park. Governor Polis is, you know, very excited about adding parks and new parks. And, you know, he's done Fisher's Peak. He's working on Sweetwater. Um, So, you know, sort of his legacy, he wants to be really park focused. And it seems like this is kind of a no brainer if, if that does come down to it in terms of swiftly and easily adding to state parks with literally a signature jason it's it's not it's not like you mentioned it's not typical for the land boards 
to sell land, right? But they have the Colorado Land Board has sold land, um, of some of this land that, as you mentioned at the top of the uh, the cast, uh, you know, it came in through statehood. What are some of those examples and and uh, and the why behind some of the previous land sales and maybe what was one of the last ones they did? Yeah, so when all this was done at statehood, every state in the West sort of got these huge grants, basically, you know, like square mile in every four square miles, something along those lines, almost, you know, make it a huge, a huge boon. And a lot of t- towns or states would take that land and initially, first, you know, 50 years of statehood, you know, be like, come to Colorado, come to Nevada, come to Utah, come to Wyoming, we'll give you land for ranching and all that stuff. And it's how they used it. And then Colorado did that. Everybody did that. And Colorado stopped doing it. New Mexico, you know, basically held all the lands they got. Nevada has none left. California mm. has none left. Wyoming and Utah, you know, Utah sells them pretty regularly. Colorado is way more conservative. They have held on to a lot of the lands that they got at statehood, but they do sell. Most recently, they sold 400 acres near Erie to a developer for $40.2 million dollars. They sold open space to Boulder County inside Hale Ranch for $13.4 million. Sold an office park building in Jefferson County, $4.7. They're selling 48,000 acres in Ellicott to the U.S. military, but it's going to be maintained as open. Tracy wrote that story a couple weeks ago. So there's, there, it does sell. The land board does sell land. It, you know, you can't say the land board never sells land in Colorado because it, it does, but um, there are a number of hoops and a number of and, and, you know, strict rules regarding how that land is moved, you know, out of state ownership, out of that state land board. But it does happen. JB, when are we going to know um, about these 8,800 acres that are uh, up for conversation right now? What's kind of the next steps on that? Uh, well, that the contract expires in June 2024. So CBW saying they're working with the land board. Land board says they're working with CBW. So, um, you know, negotiating right now what if there will be a new contract will it be 10 years will it be longer there's some people saying like don't do a 10 year do a 99 year or something like that that would you know re- surely you know affirm the the conservation of those lands um and that's you know that's happened before with cbw they've done those shorter term like a 10 year access easement or something you know for hunting or fishing access and then those contracts expire and all of a sudden, the landowner says, wow, there's people that really like my land and they want to pay me way more than what the state will pay me for an easement access. So, you know, it, it's just these pressures are coming from all different areas for, for land right now. And the, I, the question is, how best, if you're going to conserve and protect land inside state parks, who's the best owner? Always an interesting conversation. And I always, uh, always like when we get to cover you know, these kind of bureaucratic um, groups kind of not button heads, but kind of, hey, what about this? Well, what about this? Kind of going back and forth. It's not always, you know, that simple. So appreciate you kind of putting it into perspective uh, for us, Jason. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening and sticking with us. If you want to read this story, as well as some other great stories about the Colorado outdoors, I encourage you to go to coloradosun.com, our homepage, and Click on that Outdoors tab at the top of the page, and you can also sign up for Jason's weekly outsider newsletter. It's part of our premium package. You can do that at coloradosun.com slash outsider. It's where we first 
uh, broke the story and then followed up. So always great to catch up with you, Jason. Buddy, have a great week. Thanks, TK. You can read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. The new Colorado Prescription Drug Affordability Board won't put a price cap on a massively expensive cystic fibrosis drug declining to set an upper payment limit for the drug Trikafta. According to state data, Trikafta costs an average of roughly $230,000 per patient per year in Colorado. During Friday's hearing, multiple people from the cystic fibrosis community spoke against declaring Trikafta unaffordable because they can get it for much less with rebates and discounts. They were concerned that if a price cap was set, the drug maker would decide to stop selling Trikafta in Colorado. The latest Colorado Business Economic Outlook shows the state's economy is expected to continue growing in 2024. That includes 1% growth in new jobs, nearly 14% growth in net farm income, and a slightly larger cow population. That is a sign that ranchers may feel more confident, so they're reversing the trend of cutting herd size because of higher feed costs and drought. But the lead economist behind the report is more pessimistic than a year ago, when forecasts for 2023 predicted slowing job growth but no recession. His biggest concern is the mortgage and housing market. With the holiday gift-buying season amping up, the Colorado Sun has you covered for those book readers in your circles. Our annual book guide is out, and we've got thoughtful selections for a bunch of genres. To do so, we tapped into some of Colorado's best authors to get their favorite reads. We asked 10 of them to suggest two books in their genre, not bound by geography or time frame, that might make for a welcome surprise to someone who only thinks they have everything. Learn more at coloradosun.com. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. Now, a quick message from our team. I'm Laura Wynott, Director of Membership at the Colorado Sun. I came to work at the Sun because quality, trustworthy journalism is important. As a reader and listener, I find the Sun to be a breath of fresh air. The journalists tell Colorado stories that keep me informed, entertained, and engaged. If you also trust the Sun for your news, join me as a member at coloradosun.com slash join. Your support helps to bring you and other Coloradans the news you deserve. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you.